listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. No doubt this morning, uh, as we sang a number of these songs in reference to really uh, trials, uh, no doubt God directed our leaders for a particular reason, and there may be one in this room or numbers of you in this room who you needed those exact words this morning. And uh, the good thing is we have Christ, and uh, he will shepherd us through whatever you may be facing. And trust those were an encouragement to you. This morning, before I jump into my message, uh, let me uh, make two comments. First of all, uh, as uh, was mentioned at the beginning of the service, we will have a special offering today. Uh, I've been mentioning to you over the last number of weeks a sacrifice offering in reference to just helping us continue to take care and shepherd and steward our facilities. I trust uh, your heart has been... Uh, led in a particular direction. I'll make some more comments at the end. But then also many of you know that this is uh, really the week before uh, my last message for a while. Many of you know that uh, next Sunday will be the last time I'll preach for a number of months. I'll be, uh, the church has uh, chosen to send me in the leadership on a sabbatical this summer. And for that I am uh, extremely thankful for. It was a now, probably a year, year and a half ago, that one of the things I wanted some of our leadership to do is to think about the long-term sustainability and the health of our, even staff, of just how do we help our leadership uh, stick with the stuff? Because uh, no doubt over the last number of years, some of my dear friends have had to leave the ministry for various reasons. Sometimes it's moral failure. Sometimes it's just overwork and overburdened and just burnout. And um, one of my hopes is that as God calls various ones of us to uh, the office of pastor and elder, that we would be able to do it with a long-term sustainable sacrifice. And I can tell you that there have been many days, there have been times that I'm like, can I keep going? Can I, can I do this? Uh, And, uh, but of course, God has given strength every step of the way. And, uh, but when they suggested and uh, really encouraged me to do this, I'm extremely thankful. Uh, I do need to rest. I so often uh, would have to apologize to you because it's so often I don't Sabbath. I'm trying to teach myself how to stop. I love going. I love being with you. I love being with people. I think sometimes it's what energizes me, but there are times I do get drained and, and I'm looking forward to just being able to have some time, extra time with the Lord, with my family, uh, I'll spend a lot of the time just trying to develop my schedule to just really fill my tanks up. And uh, so pray for me as I do that. Our family will get away a number of those weeks. Some of you are like, are you leaving your family for 12 weeks? I'm like, no. 
have a hard time being away from my my wife and family for a day, and uh, we're going to get out of town on a number of different occasions. We will be in here and out of town. One of the things I'd like to try to do is not walk into my office for all three of those months. So I'll be walking out of my office with a lot of books, uh, and then maybe sending people back over to get some books out of my office. But uh, I appreciate your prayers. Pray that God, my heart in this is that when I come back, that I will just be raring to go. And uh, sometimes as a pastor, you can get into survival mode. You're like trying to get through this Sunday. I mean, that was this week. I mean, uh, I knew this was going to be a busy week. My daughter graduating, open house. I was speaking at a commencement for a, a seminary in Detroit. Uh, just so many things going on. And, uh, and it's so easy to just, like, i got to get through Sunday and survive. And so easy not to be and get out of vision mode and be in survival mode. And I really want to be in vision mode. And I want to come back and how can we as a church better reach our community and our world for Christ? So pray that these few months of you, in many ways, helping me sit on the sideline for a little bit and get some time with the Lord would help energize me. And pray that I'll come back ready. I love you. I love our church. You energize me. You do. And uh, it'll be hard for me, but I'm thankful for it. So thank you. And uh, one more Sunday. Okay. So uh, was there something else I needed to tell you? I think that was it. Okay. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. We have been in this book now for 10 weeks. And uh, we have two more weeks, this morning and next week. Our series has been entitled, Under the Sun. And today, we come to a text that really, uh, I believe will be a, a tremendous encouragement and a challenge to you. I'd like to begin by reading verse 7 of chapter 11, and I'm going to read through verse 8 of chapter 12. And we are going to examine and ask God to help us to understand this text. But let me begin reading in verse 7. It says this, Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the streets are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. And one rises at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of song are brought low. 
They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, and the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Let me pray. Father, today, help me to be clear. Help the text today to unfold before the eyes of these listeners. And Father, would you help them to remember you and rejoice in their life as long as you give them life under the sun. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The month of May is often a time of celebration. Graduations, some of you have been a part of numbers of them already. Weddings often sprinkle the month of May. With those events are oftentimes reflections of life. Thinking about the past, how God has brought you to that point, and thinking about the future and what God is going to do in the days ahead. One of the practices when Jen and I got married was to put together a video slideshow to show kind of at the rehearsal dinner to trace our lives from birth until the time we were getting married. In fact, we still have that video. Maybe you did something like that. Or you're familiar. I mean, uh, even this past week as we uh, uh, celebrated the life of Mama Jean, we saw her life and the life that she lived. And so often in May, you think of, you, you just consider life. But you also consider how fast it goes. Goes so quickly. And as a reminder, we have our hourglass. Our life is like this hourglass. So, Kel, uh, Kelson, come on up. You're, you're flipping our hourglass. Every week during this series, we've been flipping this to remind us that these are just the short days of our lives, and our lives are fleeting. They're going quick. Some of you, as we learned in the first week, uh, it's like vacation days. You're on the last day of vacation. Some of you are taking an extra day of vacation. You're past that age expectancy and and life is going quick and it's that first group of sand, that first hourglass that drops that is critical for eternity. Let me tell you, your sand is going to go forever somewhere. But it's that first turn of the hourglass that is absolutely essential for you to make the right decisions. So life is going fast. A famous sage from childhood, a guy by the name of Ferris Bueller, said this. Life moves pretty fast if you don't stop and look around once in a while, you'll miss it. It's often, we just go through life and we don't pay attention. But sometimes we need to stop and figure out, okay, what am I doing with my life? How am I living It's during these transition times, like I mentioned in the month of May, you get words from wisdom. Sometimes it's before you go to the altar. Hey, as you go to the altar, let me give you some words of advice. Or it's at the altar. Maybe it's during a charge. Or maybe it's before giving that diploma. Or it's in one of those 
diploma uh, gifts or those graduation cards that say, hey, as you go out into this world, sometimes it's stuff like, get out there and conquer the world. Well, here, in many ways, Solomon is taking us to some final words that he's going to give us about living life for the next season of your life. And he gives us some final exhortations leading up to the end of this book. If there was ever a text that encompasses what I've been reiterating at the beginning of the message every week, it is this text. I've been telling you, according to this series, that you need to live it up in a broken down world. And by up, I meant two things. As you live life, your short life, you need to live it vertically. Live it up. You think about heaven and eternity and know that you're going to live somewhere forever and that you have a Godward focus. But also by up, I meant this, that you would rejoice and live life as you're under the sun, not waiting for eternal life, but enjoying the eternal life that God has already begun for you in Christ now. That you would embrace life with joy and vigor. In our text today, this type of lifestyle of living up, living it up in a broken down world, is clearly commanded to you with two words. And you're going to see them in our text. One of them is this, rejoice. And the other is this, remember. Rejoice and remember. And today we're going to learn this truth. You need to live it up now in a broken down world. Okay, did you notice I added something there? Don't live it up simply later. Live it up now in a broken down world. Our text introduces these two words in the first two verses of it. Verses 7 and 8 of chapter 11. But it also reminds us, as we are to live out these commands, it reminds us of our arch nemesis, as we've seen in this text, and it's this, vanity. We live in a broken world. We live in a frustratingly enigmatic world that, because of the fall, is working against us. But notice what he tells us to do. Verse 7 of chapter 11, he says, light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. I'm probably, many of you today, when you drove in, you're like, what a beautiful day. It is great to be under the sun. It's gorgeous outside. That's what this verse is saying. Having life, living life under the sun, it is sweet and it is good. In fact, that little, uh, that little verse reminded me of that whole brand of shirts and Sometimes you see it when you're on vacation at the beach, or you can find it in a lot of shops where it's life is good. If there was ever a verse that supported life is good, that's the verse, verse 7. Light is sweet, it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. I think of the song 10,000 Reasons. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. Uh, some of you immediately, whenever I used to hear that song, I always thought of the Folgers coffee commercial. Okay. The best part of waking up. You know what? It, one thing about life is this. As you and I live life, God created this world and it was good. Day one, and it was good. Day two, it was good. Day three, good, good, 
good. Of course, day six, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper. And of course, what did Adam say? Good. Real good. Yes, the fall did happen. Yes, things broke down. But even in the book of Lamentations, it says, his mercies are new every what? Every morning. There is a God who's still in charge. He is working things all out. Yes, the world's broken. It's frustrating. Yes, there are going to be very dark days, but God made life to be enjoyed. In fact, look what he says in verse 8. He says, so, if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Did you guys catch that? God wants you, all the days of your life, to be someone who rejoices in them. But it doesn't stop there. He says this, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So he wants you to rejoice in all your days. So if you're 16 years of age, okay, wherever you're at right now, you're to rejoice. If you're 96, you're also to rejoice. He wants you to joy, but he also wants you to remember. Here's those two words, rejoice, remember. And here he reminds us that as you and I live those days out, as the sand goes down, there are going to be some very hard days. I mean, if you, were to, if you were to list your top three worst days, the hardest days of your life, I mean, think about it for a minute. What were they? I mean, those of you who are in their teens, there may not be a whole lot of them. I got an F on that test or, or this. Some of you, it was the death of your spouse. Some of you, it was a child. I think of my own life. I mean, sometimes it was pain. I've had two kidney stones. I would not want to revisit those days. Those were horrible days. Some of you, it may have been a panic attack that has scared you I never want to go back there. Some of you, it was a a day of discouragement that it's like you're fearful even if you get close to thinking about that day. Like, why'd you bring this up? Life, there are going to be many, many rough days. And that's why he says that last phrase, for all is vanity. All is frustratingly enigmatic. It's elusive. It's hard. It's transient. But what are you and I supposed to do in the midst of this vanity? Two things, remember and rejoice. So let's talk about the first one for just a moment, rejoice. And we're going to start with that one because that's the one that shows up first in the text. And when does he want you to rejoice? Maybe when you're like done with the semester or when uh, vacation comes. No, you're supposed to rejoice when? Now. Now. He elaborates on this with the command in verse 9. Look what he tells the young men. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you all the days of your youth. 
walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Now, he identifies a young man, but really, all of us know all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for all of us. He's identifying young men, but the the application is to all of us, particularly youth, but wherever you're at in life, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to rejoice and allow your heart to be cheered all the days, and you are to walk in the way of your heart and in your eyes. Now here, a lot of people get confused. Is Solomon suggesting that I just follow my heart? To do, because all of us know, I mean, before conversion, the heart is what? Deceitful and what? Desperately wicked. Who can know it? Is he just telling young people, hey, just follow your heart. Party it up when you're young. Is that, is this kind of a philosophy that he's giving to us with no moral constraints? I'll tell you, we live in a culture where you're told when you're young to sow those wild oats. College life is to be what? Party life. Enjoy it because your days are fleeting. Is that what Solomon's actually saying here when he says, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes? In other places in the Old Testament, God tells us we are not to follow the inclination of our heart. Listen to what it says in Numbers 15. He says this, and it shall be, talking about the word, And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to hoard at, whore after. So is Solomon here contradicting Moses and Numbers? Let me tell you, no, he is not. What he's doing here is he's doing this. He's calling you to enjoy the young men, to enjoy their youth, but to do it responsibly. Don't waste those years going and sowing your wild roots. You're to enjoy it and embrace it, but do it within the rules that God has set place, knowing that he's in charge of all things. It's like Disney World. You know, who cannot go to Disney World and enjoy themselves? Maybe a parent has a bunch of small kids. Maybe that's someone, but... You go to Disney World, you're there and you're supposed to enjoy yourself. But you can ruin it by going against the rules and get kicked out. Think about all the enjoyment you can have at Disney World in a day. There's tons of it. But you can say, man, climb out of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, there's some gold there. I'm going to just jump out of the ride here and I'm going to go get some of that gold and put it in my pocket. And you're going to be kicked out of the park. You know what? God wants us to enjoy life but do it within the bounds that he has established. And here Solomon is saying, rejoice, enjoy your youth, but do it properly. When I was in high school, of course, uh, Jen and I went to the same high school. Uh, Kent Martindale, you may not know, Kent and I were in, Kent was a year above me in school and we were in high school. In fact, uh, Laura Hotchkiss was in our same high school. And uh, so there was a number of us And uh, I remember when I was in high school, there was some leaders who helped organize events for the teenagers to have a lot of fun responsibly. It It was probably the most cheesy name for an event that you could ever have. 
but I still remember it. It's called CCHFT. Hey, are you going to come to CCHFT? You say, what in the world does CCHFT stand for? Christians can have fun too. (laughs) I still remember it, but really what they were doing was this. So often our world says, hey, the way to have fun is to go outside the rules. And I remember when my, my heart was first starting to, God, I just want to live for you, and I want to walk with you, and, to, and, and, and live in conformity to a relationship with you. And when I began to realize that the greatest fun that a person can have in enjoyment is really when God is the, the center of someone's life. I mean, he created you. He knows what makes you tick. You're supposed to run on his fuel, on him. And as I, as I continue to, you could say, get in that channel, I soon realized that even a week, I remember going on weeks of mission trips and where we worked like crazy, but we were walking with the Lord and trying to serve him. Those were the happiest weeks of my life. Because finally God was where he was properly supposed to be and there was a rejoicing rather than getting involved in fun and having all the guilt that laden to me at that particular time. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to rejoice in this life. The greatest joy in life is to, to walk with God. So many people think that if I get right with God and start living according to what he wants me to do, my life's going like, to be like the chains come on and my life's going to be restricted. And He's going to ruin my life if I surrender my life to him. And I remember one of my teachers saying, if God really wanted to ruin your life, would he wait till you surrendered to him? Oh, they just surrendered to me. Now let's ruin it. No. Let me tell you, the greatest thing in all the world is to walk with God and to have him in the center and come to know him through his son, Jesus Christ, and to rejoice in what he has given you on a day-to-day basis. Why should you and I be discerning on what we rejoice in and what we get involved in? Well, this life is not all there is, as he says in the text. He says, you're accountable for what you do. In fact, you're being tracked. You know, nowadays, many of us are a lot more conscious when it comes to video cameras. There's cameras everywhere these days. And you realize, okay, I'm probably being watched in some ways, whether it's in my neighborhood or it's here at church or whatever. Somewhat, it may be somewhat good, keeps us from doing some things that we probably shouldn't do. But let me remind you, as you live your life, you must be aware as you live your life and you have your fun that there is a God who you live under. In fact, the book of Hebrews says this. It says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so God says, you know what? I want you to rejoice in life, but realize there is a God who uh, is in charge of all this. And he's going to bring everything to its final conclusion. So do so responsibly, but also remove obstacles from your own life, particularly those of you who are in your youth. And what he does is now he calls them to remove certain items. Look what he says in verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart. You say, Pastor Brian, what's vexation? This is this, inner anxiety. 
How many of you are really good at worrying? Becoming a worry ward and thinking about all of these things that could happen in life. You know, it's easy for kids to develop just an anxiety complex when you get older and older. And I know for me, it's so easy on busy weeks to just get so anxious in life. What does the Bible tell you to do? Be anxious for what? Nothing. But in everything by prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. He tells you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, or yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body than raiment? And so what he's telling young men to do, and if he's telling young men to do this, he's definitely telling all of you to do this. He says, in the midst of you living your life, rejoice in it and remove inner anxiety and angst. Because there is a God who's above all this. He's working it. Yeah, there's going to be hard times. And as best you can, he says, and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. The idea is your your short life's going to go so fast. Those of you, I mean, we live in a society today, we put so much pressure on the young, young people. Some of our kids are cracking so early because they've learned how to add pressure and pressure and pressure upon themselves and mom and dad are expecting all of these things from them. And we can put all these things in our environment on people and it can just destroy the joy in people's lives. He says, remove vexation. As best you can, remove pain from your body. And we know because of the fall, it doesn't mean that we can remove all pain. Some of you live in chronic pain. But if if you're without pain and and enjoy it, rejoice in it, and even in the midst of the pain, you can joy. Because he tells you rejoice in the Lord, what? Always. And again, I say rejoice. Yes, not every day is going to be a party. But every day you're not going to get back. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to embrace each day. And what we've seen through the book of Ecclesiastes, time and time again, he tells you that this world is incredibly hard and frustrating, but then he stops you and says, but I want you to eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Let your garments always be white. Anoint your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. He says, for that is your gift. And so rejoice in it. And so here, right at the beginning of the end, when it comes to Ecclesiastes, Solomon's telling all of you, rejoice in life. Embrace it. Do so responsibly. But then he also calls you to a second action. And these two actions are essentially connected. In fact, you are not going to be able to rejoice properly unless you do the second of these commands. And it's this. You need to not only rejoice now, you've got to remember now. And we find this in chapter 12. In fact, Solomon opens chapter 12 with what should be in the forefront of all of our minds. Look what he says in verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw nigh, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. He tells all of you, to start remembering God in your youth. And if he tells you to start then, he doesn't want you to stop in your old age. 
He wants you rather to start as early as possible to think about him, to live vertically, to set your affection on things that are above. And he identifies himself as the creator. Now, just so you know, remember is not simply, oh yeah, I remember God. That idea of remember carries the idea of not simply recalling it to mind, but acting decisively in reference to it. Let me illustrate it this way. Remember Hannah in the Bible? There was a text where Hannah is praying that God would give her a child. And a few verses later, after she prays all this, it says that God remembered Hannah. And it wasn't simply that God just, oh, oh yeah, there's Hannah. She wants a child. No, what happened was God acted decisively to help her. He gave her a child. You remember the story of Noah, when God remembered Noah and his family. They were on the ark. It wasn't like, oh yeah, Noah and Ham, Japheth and all of them, they're still on the ark and the water's still above Mount Everest. I better sink it down. Yeah, it was remembering them, but it was acting decisively for their good. And you know what remembering means for you? It's where you remember God and you act accordingly. I mean, one way to put it is like, let's say you remind yourself or you remember that you owe someone 20 bucks in the church. Oh yeah, I borrowed that money from them. It's not just remembering, it's pulling out your wallet and saying, hey, here's the 20 bucks back. I owed this to you. What God wants you to do is not simply recall to mind that he is God, but act accordingly and start living your life with him in the reference. Live understanding that he's in charge of all of life. He's your creator. He created you initially. He sustains your being. He preserves your life. And you need to do it when? You need to do it as a youth. Do it now. If you're not a youth anymore... Get on it. Yeah, I've got a bunch of people here in this room, okay? All of you who are 17 and younger, okay? Hey, why don't we do this? All of the 17 and younger, can you guys stand for a second? 17 and younger. We've got a bunch of them around here. They're, they're a little bit more on this side, okay? All right. All right, you guys can be seated. He wants you, all of you, to start remembering him and acting accordingly Right now. Right now. Now, I'm not going to make the next group stand, but did you know that in the New Testament, in the New Testament, youths were normally, it could go all the way up to your 30s, and you weren't really out of the youth category until you were married and had kids. Okay? That's why when Paul tells Timothy, let no one despise your youth, He wasn't just some teenager. He was someone, I mean, you you could say he was probably in his 20s. And and in the same way, God wants you to remember him now. Don't wait till later. When you end up saying this, I have no pleasure in my days. It's so hard. I can't tell you how often I talk to some of our senior saints. And they tell me, it is just so hard. Mama Jean, I mean, if you were at her funeral, she was one that, uh, it was just neat to hear every day she went to bed, 
And when she woke up the next morning, she was like, man, I'm still here. She just wanted to be with who? She wanted to be with the Lord. And honestly, when you get sometimes to her age, it's like, I'm dealing with all of these aches and pains and all of these troubles. To be with Christ is far better. And she's like, I don't have pleasure in these days anymore. I just want to go. And what he's telling you is, remember your creator now. When sometimes you can do something and get out there and, and attack this world for the sake of the gospel. And that's what he does in, the, in reference to the rest of these verses. He says, remember your creator. And he uses the word before three different times. Did you catch it? I think it's in verse 1. It's in verse 2. And it's in verse 6. And really what he does in the remainder of these verses is he begins to describe the aging process. And as I read these, I'm going to be stepping on the toes of a lot of you in this room. Because guess what? All of us, in some ways, are starting to age. Here he begins to talk about the passing of one's life. In the beginning of verse 2, he talks about the aging process by comparing it to a gathering storm and somewhat of a decaying house. Look what he says in verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And the idea is this. As you and I grow older, it's like the clouds start to gather. And what some people describe this even talking about is even mentally, things begin to cloud. Dementia, Alzheimer's. Things are, it's like, Life is slowly coming to an end. I need to remember God. And then in verse 3, he says this, In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. You say, what were the keepers of the house? What they believe is they're talking about your hands and your feet that keep the house. And the idea is, as you begin to grow a little bit older, you begin to shake. Tremble. It goes on, and the strong men are bent. Here were these men who could do so much, and all of a sudden, they begin to lose some height, bend over. And the grinders cease because they are few. You say, what's that talking about? Guess what that's talking about? Your teeth. They grind your food, and the idea is this. You start losing your teeth. I am thankful for modern dentistry. I'm thankful for Josh Jernigan, who's continuing that profession. I'm thankful that we have that, this advantage. But you know what? The days are coming when these teeth aren't going to hold out. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. You start, you know what? You, you, you start losing the sight. This year, I got my first set of reading glasses. And I'm like... I'm getting attached to them. Okay, I can still, I'm not having to go back and forth up here. I've got big print right here. Uh, but as you get older, your eyes start to go. And then he says in verse 4, And the doors of the street are shut. When the sounding of the grinding is low, you start losing your what? Hearing. And one rises at the sound of a what? A bird. All of a sudden, you know what? It's the smallest little thing that wakes you up. You're like, 
Why can't I get back to sleep? Somebody would say, I'm already getting old. Little things like this. And the daughters of the song are brought low. And what some people believe this is talking about is, as you get older, a lot of people lose their singing voice. You can't sing anymore. And they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. And the idea is, you start to be afraid of heights, and then even just walking from the parking lot into church becomes sometimes terror. Even walking that little step by the portico, getting over that little thing, it's hard. And guess what? All of you are going to be there one day. If God tarries, we're all, this is the, this is the process. And then it says, the almond tree blossoms. You say, what's that talking about? That talks about your hair growing gray. I got a little bit going on over here. I'm starting to catch a little bit more. Some of you would say, I'm all there. Some of you would say, I just wish I had hair. Then it says, the grasshopper drags itself along. And I think what he's talking about is the vitality is no longer there. What is a grasshopper? When you see a, a grasshopper, it's like jumping around. It's like Tigger, I mean, in the Winnie the Pooh. It's like, go out and conquer the world you know what a lot of us a lot of our young our older men there were a time that you know what they have so much energy and so much oomph to go and conquer life and it's not there anymore it drags itself along and then in the bible says and desire fails and some have equated that to even the sexual desire and our bodies break down and then it tells us this Because man is going to his eternal home. And as a reminder that all of you will live forever. All of you. Somewhere. And the mourners go about the streets. And then he brings you to death's doorstep. You need to remember God before the clouds start to come in. You need to remember God before you get to the place where you just can't do as much and you've aged and you also need to remember God before your death date. And that's what he talks about in this last verse, verse 6. Before the silver cord is snapped. Some people equate that to talking about your vertebrae. And then the golden bull is like the brain or the head and how it's suspended and all of a sudden one day that brain and that body is going to give out. The pitcher is shattered at the fountain. Some people look at that as the heart and the idea is that it was the thing that provided the fountain of life pumping your blood and that heart stops beating. The vascular system and the wheel is broken at the cistern and then he ends with this and dust returns to the earth as it was. All of you, all of mankind, Adam and Eve, they were created out of the dust. You and I came from Adam and Eve. I mean, you go through all the different generations and one day your body is going to return to dust. But your spirit is going to return to the God who gave it. He gave it to you And then ultimately, there's a whole lot more theology that we can talk about how one day God is going to resurrect that body. And as you read the entirety of Scripture, you realize there's a whole lot more. But what Solomon does here is he tells you, the life you live, you and I, under the sun, what are we supposed to do? You and I are supposed to rejoice in all of our days. 
We're supposed to take each day, eat, drink, enjoy them, live life to the fullest, exercise dominion on this world through our business, through our life. And the way we're supposed to rejoice in him is we need to remember him. And when do we need to start remembering him? When we're young. And if you haven't yet, wherever you're at right now, surrender your life to him because your day is coming and it's coming quick. You will give an account. And only those who have come to God's final word, his son, will have their sins forgiven and will be able to spend eternity with him. So how are we to live We've learned this morning this, live it up when? Now, in a broken down world. This is done by rejoicing and remembering. Let me, let me close with this. How did they do this in the Old Testament? How did they rejoice and remember? I want you to uh, think about even... God's people all through the Old Testament. God chose to bless the earth. He, he selected a family by which he would bless all the nations of the earth. He picked this man, Jacob. And he said, through you, one day my son is going to come and I'm going to bless the earth. And there were different times that God interceded into uh, the history of man and he rescued them. And one of those occasions was the exodus where the nation of Israel was caught in bondage and he saved them from it. And what he told them to do after he brought them out is he says, every year, what I want you to do is I want you to remember how I have worked and acted out in you, your salvation. And they were supposed to celebrate the Passover. And what that time was supposed to be was a time of remembrance, but also it was a time of what? Celebration. They were to eat, they were to drink. And in fact, that Passover meal involved a lot of that. Now, fast forward to the time of Jesus. And when Jesus was on this planet, when God finally came to earth and became a man, what did he do? He observed the Passover. In fact, during the the final week of his life, the night before he was betrayed, he was eating at the Passover meal. He was eating the bread and drinking of the cup. I mean, it's it's like Ecclesiastes, eat and drink, find enjoyment. But he was remembering, and what did he tell his disciples? He says, you know what, there's coming a day when I'm going to be gone, and you're going to eat and drink, and you're going to need to remember what? Me and what I have done for you. In fact, during that particular meal, he tells them this. He says, abide in me, and I in you. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be what? Full. He's telling his future disciples, you know what? As you live life, even between my comings, You need to remember me. Remember what I've done for you and abide in me and your joy will be what? Full. So, Pastor Brian, how do I do this in my New Testament ear today? Number one, 
by far, you have to come to know God's final word, his son, Jesus. But then what do you need to do? You need to be constantly, manually remembering God in your life. How do you do that? I just don't do devotions to check things off the list. I spend time in the word on a consistent basis because you know what? I need to be reminded about God. Because I am, I am someone who is so prone to forget him. And so what do I do? I need to have different parts of the day to remind myself, God, you're in the picture. You're the one who's supreme. I need to submit my life to you. And so you do this personally. But you know what you also do? You do it corporately. Every month. You know what we do? We have this little table where we eat bread and we drink cup. And we rejoice and we remember what Jesus Christ did. And what is it supposed to do? It's supposed to spur us on to continue till he comes. Lebanon Baptist Church, you and I are going to continue to live in vanity. Frustratingly enigmatic world. You will. And some of you are going to face it this week. And we're going to need to help each other get through it. But how, how are we supposed to conduct ourselves? We are to rejoice in it. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And we do that by remembering our Savior, who though he went through extreme difficulty, he conquered it all. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, if you have Christ, you can live in this vain world. And you can rejoice in the ups and downs and the hardships of life because he's conquered it for you. He's given you an eternity. Your eternal home is waiting. And even though that aging process is not going to stop until you get to heaven. Let me tell you, I've talked to so many of our senior saints who've dealt with it and they have joy in their heart. They're embracing each moment. They're saying, you know what? I want more strength to live for him. And may God give all of you that. May you remember God because he's the one who's going to get you through. So today, how do you live it up in a broken down world? You do it now. And you do it by rejoicing and remembering your God. Let's pray. Father, today, would you remind us of living our life all out for Christ? Our life is short, we know. And we need you to help us to do it. Father, thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he's accomplished. And now would you help us to remember you and rejoice in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.